God is for us. Those four words have been on a banner out the front of this building for about a month or so. And from where my office is over yonder, I can see people walking past and I watch them. Sounds a bit stalkerish, I know. I don't do it often. But I've been watching people as they walk and they see the banner, they stop, might take a photo, look of confusion. How is God for me? You might be wondering a similar sort of question. How is God for us, for me? particularly Easter? You all get Easter chocolate eggs. They're not for us, particularly our waistline, right? But how is Easter Sunday? We just read about it. An earthquake, women going to a tomb, an angel. How is that for us, for me? We're going to look at three ways in which Easter Sunday shows you loud and clear that God is for us. The first way is it gives us real hope. I don't know what you were doing on Easter Saturday yesterday, but that first Easter Saturday was filled with utter sadness. Jesus was dead. The Romans did a great job at executing and finishing him off. And some women on Easter Sunday went early as the sun was rising to go visit the tomb where Jesus was buried. And they were filled with the kind of normal reactions that you and I feel when a loved one dies. Sadness, grief, anger, shock, tears. See, We're wondering if God is for us, but we all know that death is not for us. Death destroys, it takes, it removes, it ends. Now, I'm aware that of all the topics in a society, death is the most taboo. We'll talk about all sorts of things except death. If you don't believe me, at your next dinner, get together with friends, ask this question. Have you thought about your own death lately? See how that goes down, right? It's going to end it quite abruptly. We, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about our own death, right? There's a TV show, and if you've got kids or kids in your life, you'll be familiar with it. It's called Bluey, where as a young dog, a little girl asks her dad, Dad, what happens after you die? That's it. Uh, and changes the topic, right? We don't know how to talk about it, right? This topic of our own death, about, we just go silent. We change the topic. We're unsure. We may not know what to say when it comes to death, but we sure know what to feel. And that is what these women were feeling. They were feeling a sense of hopelessness. And you and I feel that, right? Hopelessness when it comes to death. So with all these things churning around, these women approach the tomb, and there they get the shock of their life. Not only in seeing an angel, but what the angel has to say. Turn with me to page 77 of the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 28, and have a look at verse 5. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. Why is she afraid, right? Because she's seen an angel. It's not like there was one at every second corner back in the day, right? They're rare. So they're freaked out. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There 
you'll see him. You think about being in these women's shoes and receiving that kind of news, what you'd be feeling. What the heck? Really? The shock at what this angel has just said. But it's interesting. It's as if the angel said, you're surprised, but you shouldn't be all that surprised. Because notice the angel says, just as he said. See, Jesus on multiple occasions throughout his life said he was going to die and also said three days later he was going to rise again. Now, I get amazed when weathermen or weatherwomen predict what the weather's going to be like in a week. They say it's sunny, and then you get to that day, it is sunny. Or an economist says, you know, the stocks there are going to depreciate, and they do. I get amazed by that, right? But here, Jesus is making prediction that I'm going to die, and when I die, three days later, I'm going to rise again. That is quite remarkable. See, here's the thing. I, James Glare, can predict something that's going to happen to all of us. We're going to die, right? Certain of that. But Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to predict that I'm going to die, but rise again. And he, as the angels testified, is risen, which means his words, more than anyone else, can be trusted. And for these women, bit by bit, their hopelessness turns into hope. What they thought was the end is just the beginning. See, that Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, God speaks into the conversation that you and I are all afraid to bring up and says, you can be certain that when you die, if you trust in me, you will live. And all of a sudden, this unique experience that happened 2,000 years ago is not all that unique. Early in the Gospels, Jesus was at a funeral of his good friend Lazarus. And there he's talking to Lazarus' sister, Martha, and he says these words in John 11. They're on the screen. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And moments later after that, he brings Lazarus back from the grave. Which means Jesus is saying this loud and clear. What he experienced, you can experience. If you have personal belief in Jesus Christ, then there is a 100% prediction and assurance and certainty that though you will die, you will live. Now, as I drive around Sydney, I'm amazed at how many people just walk in front of cars. I don't know if you've experienced this kind of thing. You're just driving along and they just walk out. Like, what the heck are you doing? I'm in a metal machine and you just walk out. Just, ah, oh, you know. Do you experience this, right? The amount of people that just walk in front of cars is quite remarkable. And I just presume they must have a hope in the resurrection. <laughs> they just know where they're going, right? They can just step out, right? But as I've been driving around for Sydney for a while... I've realized two things. Most people who walk out in front of the cars actually don't have their hope in the resurrection. They're just dumb, right? They just think, me versus car, yeah, I'm going to win, right? But I've also realized something else. 
Having a real hope in Jesus Christ and his resurrection doesn't mean somehow you just carefree walk in front of cars. It doesn't mean you're afraid of dying, right? Like it's nothing. It means that you can stare death in the eye with a bit of fear at what it might be like, but knowing it cannot do any long-lasting damage. George Herbert said this, for the Christian, death used to be an executor. Now, because of the resurrection, death is merely a gardener. You can't bury a Christian, you just plant them. And in rural Louisiana, in the US, under a sycamore tree is a stone graveyard that says the word waiting on it. A natural question to ask, though, from this is, well, hang on, what are you waiting for? If you have real hope, hope to do what? This is our third point. God is for us in bringing us real life. Now, often when we think of eternal life, of heaven, it can conjure up sometimes as much excitement as if you want a free trip to Canberra. So not all that much, right? No one's jumping for joy if you win that trip, right? But have a look at verse 8, because there's a word in here that I love, and I hope you'll love it too. Verse 8 says this, So the woman, women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, Suddenly... Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Now the word which I love in that sentence or two is the word clasped. It's a great word, clasped. Here's why I think it's important. Because when we think that Jesus rose from the dead, or when we ourselves will rise from the dead, we kind of think, Jesus and us will be this sort of spiritual ghost, this, this mirage, this force. And when we think of heaven, we kind of think of this giant smoke machine pumping out clouds, everyone gets a wings, a harp, and a bit of cream cheese, and that's eternity? No, thank you, right? But that word clasped is an important word because you cannot clasp at someone's feet who is a ghost. You cannot clasp at someone's feet who is a figment of your imagination. uh, uh, The women clasped at Jesus' feet. Why? Because he rose physically, bodily. And so will you, if you trust in him. Because Jesus is the template for your future. Not in only getting through death, but what life on the other side of death is like. And it is claspable. It is real. You'll notice when Jesus appeared to these women, he was recognizable. He said, greetings. He didn't say, hi, I'm Jesus. You might remember me from the five loaves, two fishes. Greetings. They knew instantly who he was. And he rose bodily with arms, legs, head, which tells you something, right? This physical world, our flesh and blood, is not bad, is not second rate, is not lesser. God, in resurrecting Jesus, didn't say, well, we're done with the physical, now we're on to the mystic. You know, enjoy the earth now because the future is just puff and smoke. The picture of your future, your resurrected body, and this world, as it says in Revelation 21 on the screen, it is a new heaven, a new earth. 
for their former has passed away. Eternal life is like this world, but new. What's past? The sin, the yuck, the muck, the death, the despair. See, the problem is not this material world that we live in. The problem is sin has ruined it. And in order for you and I and this world to be what it is supposed to be, good, our sin has to be dealt with. That is why Good Friday is so good. Because as it says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. One of my favorite trees is a eucalyptus tree. What I love about eucalyptus trees is they begin as a seed, as all plants do, but they're covered, surrounded in a thing called resin. I'm not a botanist, so I don't know what resin is. But resin prevents the seed from bringing forth life. The only way resin can be removed is by an intense bushfire coming through and melting away the resin so the little eucalypts can sprout into a glorious big tree. On Good Friday, Jesus, as it were, went through the fire to remove not his sin, but yours and mine. Take it away so that you could live the resurrected life in a glorious new world that awaits. A world in which you are supposed to live. Last year, I was in Uluru with my dad. And as we were standing, looking at this glorious big rock, right, which is twice the height of the Harbour Bridge, and the sun was setting... It was a moment of disbelief. My dad leaned over to me and said, this is just a taste of heaven. There's going to be moment after moment like this in heaven. And it's right. He was right. But you know what moments will not be there? The call. It's cancer. It's been a tragic accident. She's dead. You know that feeling you get after a good belly laugh with friends, after a good meal? Heaven is full of those feelings. But not the feeling of being alone or uninvited. You know that experience you get after a rush of running along a beach with the sun setting or the sun rising? Heaven is full of those experiences, but not the experience of back pain or sore knees. You know that encounter you have with someone who gives you a warm hug? Heaven is full of those encounters, but not the encounter of a violent hand of attack. You know those times of satisfaction when you sit back from work, you've done something, you've, you've put a lot of effort into? Heaven is full of those times, but not the times of despair or pride or frustration. God is for us and bringing us real life and it is claspable, it is tangible, it is real. Last year, my wife was telling a conversation she had with a little daughter, Audrey. Audrey hadn't had a good day that day, uh, not listening in a bad mood. And, and Charlotte said, you know, don't worry, Audrey, tomorrow's a new day. God gives us a fresh start. And this is what she said. Audrey said, Mummy, things aren't good in this world, but when we get to heaven... 
we won't get angry with each other or feel sad, and there'll be lollies. <laughs> she got it. Because when Jesus rose from, this, from the grave, he didn't want us to escape from this world. No, no, no. He wanted us to escape from sin, our biggest problem, in order to make this world what it is supposed to be. So God is for us in giving us real life. But the question you might be thinking now is, well, how do you get there? How do you make sure that that is your future, right? And this is our third and final point, a real relationship. God is for us in bringing us a real relationship. In order for you to have real hope staring at your death and a real life staring at your future, you need to have a real relationship. But here's the thing. It is hard to have a real relationship with someone you can't see. These women... Matthew 28, the angel says, go into Galilee, there you'll see him. And moments later, they do, face to face. Jesus says to the women, go tell the disciples that they will see me in Galilee. And, verse 16, they do. They see him face to face. But you and I have not. No one in this room, no one in this country has seen Jesus face to face. Does it make it untrue? Not necessarily. Most historical moments have been witnessed by a few and believed by the majority. But notice how this gospel ends with a commission, a call of responsibility of those who have seen it to go and share, go and tell others. And here's the thing. Do you know how you can see Jesus? You have it in your hand. The account of eyewitnesses who saw him. This is an account, an orderly account, a story, as it were, of Jesus and who he is, what he did, and his death and resurrection. For you to see him, and like millions of others, believe. You might have noticed that some saw him and doubted. That may be you. You may have questions, you may have concerns, you... you, you Maybe like cursing, trying to work out the historical and all that kind of background to it. We have a course, Christian Explore, that was mentioned, but it would be great for you to come to. You will not regret it in doing it. But take this home and to read for yourself and see Jesus through the eyes of those who saw him firsthand. But you'll notice, though, that those who saw him have one response in common. What is it? They worshipped. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Verse 16, the disciples did likewise. Now, we don't think anything of it. We think worship, that's a Christian, religious kind of word, worship. But Tim Keller in New York makes an interesting point. He says this, Jews were possibly the least likely people on the face of the earth to be open to the idea that a human being could be God. See, they had a paradigm, a worldview that couldn't say the name of God out loud. Even today, they render it G-D. Yet, we know that almost immediately after the resurrection, Jesus' disciples were worshipping a man. How did that happen? It didn't happen through the sociology of philosophies. It didn't happen through an outlier and slow changes. No, no, no. Something must have happened. Something must have shattered their paradigm. Only one thing could have done that. They saw him. 
and were confronted with the fact of the resurrection. See, Jesus rising from the dead changed everything. And those who saw him reorientated their whole worldview around him and said, he is worthy of my worship. That he is not just a teacher, he is not just a remarkable man, but he is God come to earth to deal with my sin, to break the power of death, and to live with him evermore. He is worthy of my worship. Easter Sunday, friends, is God's big statement saying to you, I am for you, in giving you real hope, real life, all through a real relationship with Jesus Christ. God is for us. The question you need to ask yourself, are you for him? Because here's the thing, though you don't see him now, if you worship him, if you follow him now, you will see him face to face for all eternity and you will never ever want to look away. But if you don't see him and worship him now, then for all eternity you will not see him. When Jesus talks about hell, it is the absence of God and the absence of anything remotely good. God is for us. Are you for him? In the lead up to Easter, Woolies has been handing out these if you spend $30 or more. In our household, we've been collecting them. What they are is just a Disney tile. You open it up, there's Mickey Mouse. Collect about 30. But in 12 of these packets in the state or in the country, there is a picture of Disneyland. And if you get that tile, you get a free trip to Disneyland, all expenses paid. Now, in our household, we didn't get them. But can you imagine the child that opens up that packet and sees Disneyland there? The joy, the excitement, the elation that that child will be feeling because they know what's the future. They know what is coming and it is guaranteed because they hold the tile. Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is God saying to you, I have something to offer you far greater than a trip to Disneyland. Real hope, real, tangible, claspable life forevermore that doesn't end through a real relationship with me. And the good thing is, this is not just offered to 12 at random, but it's offered to you. Where God is saying, I am for you. Are you for me? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this glorious day, Easter Sunday, where the tomb is empty and you are alive. And we thank you for what that means, that real hope is on offer. That as you died and rose, so we too, if we trust in you, will die and rise. And the future is a claspable future, a real future with you. And we thank you that this is possible through seeing you, Lord Jesus, and worshipping you, trusting in you, following you. We thank you for Easter Sunday. Amen.